Yeah. So when we said songs of Christmas and that's what he came up with, it's close, right? And I suspect if we were looking for songs of Christmas that our whole culture would recognize and adopt, that would probably be high on the list. I imagine many of you grew up watching that kind of cartoon as a youngster, and now many of you watch the Jim Carrey one every year, and it's, it's kind of become a family thing where that's the songs that you think about. Um, what we had in mind instead, even though they just rocked that, um, was songs that are embedded in the Christmas story. These are the originals. Th- these were written by the people who were in the story to express all kinds of different things. And last week we looked at one. We looked at the Magnificat is what it's called. It's actually sung in churches. Um, it's kind of a traditional churches where this is sung. But it's a song that Mary wrote. And this is a young girl who was facing an anxiety off the charts and wrote a song of adoration. I mean, when you have that background, you understand what she just penned. It's kind of amazing. Today, we're going to look at the second song that's in this story. It's penned by something, somebody very different. It's an older guy who gets a lot of help. We'll see in 67, verse 67 of Luke 1, he actually gets some help in writing this. Um, and it's, it's a pretty dynamic song, and um, it's about redemption, God's redemption work. Here's the thing. I'm going to focus on um, a line in that, that whole song that he writes that seems to be a throwaway. It's actually in italics. It's like it's, hey, you can just read past this, but I don't think we should because I think it has a lot to do with his story. And I think his story has something to teach us. Um, about how to interact or think about God. So the song is called the Benedictus. And it is also sung in churches. And we could have done that song instead of the Grinch song, except you would not have liked it. Um, All the applause that you had, that would not have existed because that song, the closest you can can come to is maybe it's a chant. If you want to find it on YouTube, you can find it. Uh, a chant you think of as repeated kind of things over and over again. That's not this. This is just somebody reciting scripture with music in the background. And on occasion, they emphasize a word. And I listened to it and I was like, how did they choose that word to emphasize? I, the whole thing was um, kind of interesting. But again, not something that we would do. And so instead we chose the Grinch, which I think made a whole lot more sense, right? Now... Uh, this song signified a change, a change in how God interacted with mankind. He was going to do his redemptive work. But I think this song also was a dramatic change of something that had happened in Zachariah's heart. And that's kind of what I want to focus in on. And if we're going to get to that, if we're going to get to what, ha- what happened in Zachariah's heart, we need a little bit of background. Now, if you went and you looked at the story of Mary and the story of Zechariah, you would quickly find similarities, and there's a lot of them. So in one, one of those is they're both promised babies. You're, you're both going to have a baby. The second, they're promised impossible circumstances to deliver that baby. Mary is told, hey, I know that you're not married. I know that you're not seeing a baby. I know you're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby. And she's not thinking this is improbable. She's thinking this is impossible. Like, like, 
The circumstances aren't such that this is going to happen, and yet she still finds a way to look at the angel and say, may the words be fulfilled. Zechariah, on the other hand, the reason he thinks it's impossible is just based on age. He says, I'm old, and he says this really politely about his wife, and she's well along in years. I mean, I thought that sounded polite, so I used that um, in between the two services because people were asking me where my wife was, and I said, well, sometimes she doesn't make it to the first service because she's well along in years, <laughs> right? And, and they looked around like if she was near, I would be dead. So I was like, maybe that's not, maybe that's not something that you would want to say, but Whatever, I don't know what that means. It means that she's probably well past 60, right? She's, she's at an age where it doesn't make sense that she would have kids. And so when Zechariah hears this, he's not thinking it's just not probable. He's thinking this is impossible. I don't, I don't see this happening at this point. In both stories, Gabriel the angel delivers the message. In both stories, this is all about the redemptive work that God is about to carry out. For John, he is going to make way for God's word by convincing Israel that they should repent and prepare their hearts. And then Jesus would come along and ask for their hearts. And then his disciples would take that to the world. So this redemptive story is on task with both of these guys. In both stories, they ask questions. I'll show you Luke 34. This is Mary's question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Look, I heard you. I don't get it. I, I don't understand how this is going to work out. And the angel treats this question with respect gives her an answer, probably that she still doesn't understand, and even gives her an example in the process. Hey, do you know that we're also doing the impossible with Elizabeth? You know her. Like, she's too old to have a child, and she's having one. We specialize in the impossible. You can trust us on this. And because of this answer, Mary looks at the angel and says, let your words be fulfilled. But Zachariah's question though he asks it, has a completely different tone. And this is where their stories start to change. And it's pretty dramatic change. Verse 18, this is Zachariah's question. See if you can hear the difference. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Seems like it's almost the same question, but it's not. Did you see the difference? His is, I heard you, I understand you, I'm not sure I can believe you. What else can you give me? What else can you do for me so that I can know that your words are solid? I, I've thought, what is he asking for? Like, is he, is he asking for some sort of contract that he can take back to Elizabeth and say, look, I got Yahweh to sign on the dotted line. We're going to have a baby. We've got God by the short hairs. We can make sure this is going to happen. Like, what was he looking for? For Mary, words were enough. For Zechariah, 
words were not enough. He wanted something more. And it resulted, that question was not well received by Gabriel. And basically it boils down to this. If you don't think words have value, if you can't trust them, then maybe you shouldn't have them. And he loses the ability to speak and talk. This is serious. And the question I have is, what happened that would cause Hezekiah to say, how can I be sure of this? Instead of how in the world is this going to happen? Give me evidence. What, what happened with him? I, I bet you the answer is found in the math. So let's do this real quick. Um, he would have gotten married to Elizabeth when she was around 13 or 14 years old. That was standard. That was normal practice. There's nothing for us to believe that anything was out of the ordinary here. So they would have been married. Um, he might have been a little older, but she was, she was definitely in that age range. Now, if she's now over 60, she's over 60 somewhere, and to a place where maybe she can't have kids. By the way, um, there's one tradition out there that suggests that Zachariah is 92 years old at this happening. People don't know for sure, and I, I'm not going to stake my claim on that. There's just not enough evidence for that. Uh, but old, right? Let's just say they could have been married 50 to 70 years. And let's go to the bottom side of that, 50. If one of your goals when you got married was to have kids and everybody else around you was, but you were not. How long would you wait before you started to pray about that? Would you wait 10 years? Would it be less? Would it be five years? A couple years? See, we, we don't know when this started, but, but it's possible that they could have been praying about this for 45 years years. Which raises a bigger question in my mind. When would you stop praying about that? I mean, how long would it take? Would, would you stop praying about that when she went through menopause? And, and it's like, there's just no way she's going to have a child. So I don't know why I'm praying to God to, for this to happen. It's not possible. So I'm just going to give up on this. Would it have been earlier? Would you have stopped after you prayed for something for 25 years? It hadn't happened yet. Would it be earlier than that? I talked to a guy after first service who said he's been praying for something for 20 years. And he kind of had concluded that there must be something wrong with him if the answer hasn't come yet. Zachariah is facing 45 years. Again, just assuming that they waited five years before they found some earnest. Now, here's the thing. We don't know. We don't know when he stopped praying. We don't. Here's what we know. At some point in the process, Zachariah's heart was so broken over this that he began to pray to God, asking for some solution to this problem. We know that some point along the line, God heard that prayer and decided to come up with a plan to answer it. And then 
God waited patiently, quietly, for the perfect moment for that request to be answered. And therein lies the problem. Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't get the memo. Hey, kids, heard your prayer. Know that you want to have a child. This may be frustrating for you, but I will answer in the next 45 years. I know that's a long time to wait, but at least you can hold out hope that I'm going to come through in the end. Just hang in there, and it will be okay. Love God. No memo. Nothing. Went for 45 years. And I'm telling you, something happened in Zachariah's heart because he had a different expectation of what would happen if there was silence than what God had. And I'm convinced that this disconnect, this thing that happens in Zachariah's heart where he looks at God and says, I don't believe you, has to do with this period of silence. Now, if, if, if you need evidence that having a different view of silence can cause problems, I can give you an example from my life in the last two months, okay? I'll do it this way. I want to show you the picture of a chair. This chair was purchased by my wife for me as a gift so that she could sit next to me. Now, she did this because I had a nice comfy chair that I really enjoyed. And one day, she decided to fix it. Now, it wasn't broken. So I'm, I'm not sure why the fixing project started. And I, I believe her reasoning was, this is too fluffy. <laughs> I was like, that's not a thing, honey. That, you can't make a chair that's fluffy unfluffy. She tried. And it became a franken couch. But I didn't care. I could still sit in it. It was really nice. One day I came home. It's gone. This is in its place. Okay? Not a bad thing because I like sitting next to my wife. But in the last two months, it's created a small problem. Uh, my wife has um, classes right now. She's studying. So she's doing a lot of homework. And occasionally what she'll do is she'll be sitting next to me doing homework and she wants to take a break. And she'll close up her stuff she'll turn to me and begin a very vigorous conversation. She begins sharing things that I've never wondered about or thought I needed updated on in my life. Like, it's just, it's just coming out. And it's coming out fast and furious. And so I concluded that, I, that my part of this would be to listen so I'm going to listen to her thoughts and feelings. I'm going to listen to her feelings about her thoughts. I'm going to listen to her thoughts about her feelings. It's, it's a very vigorous conversation, right? And it's, it's just kind of going. And so she'll get to a place where she'll finally take a breath and she'll say this. So what do you think about that? And I'm like, great balls of fire. I have to think about that. I was just trying to absorb this information. Now I have to... I have to say something back right now? That's way too much pressure and I don't know what to do. I was like, I got, I got nothing. She's like, you don't have any questions about anything that I've said so far. 
I never wanted to know any of the stuff that you just shared, but I've made room in my mind to take it all in. If you ask me, I could give you verbatim what we've been talking about, but no, I don't have any questions. I believe what I've done is I've held up my end of the bargain by sitting here on this couch, listening to everything. Isn't that good? <laughs> yeah. I believe what she said was in order for it to qualify as a conversation, there needs to be two parties engaging. And I was like, I was listening. I think that's engagement. And she's like, no. And she actually starts, she's been training me over the last two months. She's been giving me lines that I can ask at the end of these things so that it will go better. She'll say, when I get to this part, if you said this, that would be really helpful. And I was like, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Why are we in this little mess? Because we have different views of what silence meant. I thought, hey, I'm really intent on you. I'm listening. I'm focused. This is really great. And she's over there going, it looks like you're checked out in a space world somewhere. You're not interacting with me at all. Your silence is not so good. Now, my wife and I are not like Zachariah and God. We're not making that comparison. I'm suggesting to you that when you have a different view of silence than somebody else does, you can conclude different things. And if you want to find the place where I think things went off the rails for Zechariah was when God answered with silence. When he had this thing in his heart that he was broken about. And he came to God and he said, I need you to do something about this. And God answered him back with silence. Not as a punishment, just simply because Zechariah would not have understood, would not have comprehended, would not have grasped everything that God was doing. And all God was looking for from Zechariah was that you would just trust me during this time. But instead, Zechariah kind of became the Grinch. In that song, it talks about what happens to the Grinch's heart. There's a hole in it. And that's exactly what happens here. He becomes a skeptic. He decides, I don't know that I can trust what you say when you speak. Because what I was looking for was action. And what you delivered to my doorstep was silence. And now, now you're willing to act? How? Can I believe you? So the angel offers to Zechariah a gift. If you don't know how valuable silence is, Zechariah, I'm going to silence you. And by the way, this, this silence would have gone on for a while. We don't know how long it would have taken for Elizabeth to get pregnant. Um, we know it would have been nine months for the pregnancy. It's eight days from when they would have named the baby and circumcised. So we're looking probably at 10 months or more where Zechariah is in silence. And it appears to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish in Zechariah's heart. 
Um, when the time comes for him to finally speak, they're attempting to name the baby. And they've chosen a name that's outside of the family tree. That's not done. It was odd. Uh, rarely would you have ever have allowed that sort of thing to happen. And, the, and people are thinking that Elizabeth is doing this and she doesn't know what she's doing and they're trying to get Zachariah to correct it. And he finally, he wants to agree with God on this and God gives him his voice and he says, his name is John. And then it goes from there. Realizing he has his voice, verse 67 says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies and this pours out of him. This song that gets recorded comes out of a heart that's been quiet for 10 months, thinking about all the stuff that God's been doing, about his redemptive work. Talks about the salvation that he's going to bring. And then he writes this in verse 70. It's in italics. It's like it doesn't even matter. Kind of an aside. As he said, he's talking about God. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Basically he's saying, listen, I'm going to say all kinds of stuff about God's redemptive work. And I want you to know that God hadn't hidden this from us. He said this a long time ago. It's just been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that we've had to wait to see this come true. And so in some of us, we've doubted if God would deliver. But he said it long ago, and he delivers on his word. And it doesn't matter how long ago he said it. When he answers, he answers. And doesn't that sound a little piece of his story too? Like, God said, I waited. I had to go through this time. Now, honestly, I, I've tried to put myself in Zachariah's shoes. If I prayed for something for 45 years and it hadn't come about yet, what are the chances that my heart might get a little mucked up? It was happening in Israel too. They had told they were going to have a Messiah, but it had been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And at some point, don't you start to wonder if God's actually going to deliver? Like this is a real, this is a real problem. Because the God of the scriptures hasn't changed much, but our culture has. Can you imagine waiting for 45 years for something? We have a hard time waiting two months. Like if we got to wait two months for something, we're wondering what the problem is. In this world where you have supply chain stuff and you have to wait four or five months, you're thinking the world's broken. This is messed up. Imagine waiting for a year or more for something that you really desired, cared about, wanted to see happen. And it didn't happen and all you got instead was silence. What do you do with that? What Zachariah did with that was that he built up a level of mistrust between God and then finally when he sat in silence for months upon months and he was able to reflect on the words of God and what he was actually doing, he realized that God's at work 
even in the silence. Even when you can't see it, even when it doesn't feel like it, he's still at work, at play. In fact, I wrote down a few things. Just a part of this story that made me think, man, God was still at work doing this. Though it was silent, he was arranging for the salvation of mankind. We talked about it hundreds of years ago, but even in the silence, he was waiting for the perfect timing to make this happen. In the silence, he was arranging for his own son to come and walk among mankind, to get so close as to touch us, to teach us. In the silence, this was happening. In the silence, he was showing his faithfulness to deliver, even when we don't get it. And I got to tell you, there are things in our lives that we pray for, ask God to be involved with, and all we receive, and sometimes we're left concluding maybe it's no or maybe God doesn't care. But maybe there needs to be a, a third category. God's at work, and he just hasn't revealed it to me yet. He's, he's about his kingdom. See, I think uh, one of the reasons we read this text is because God speaks. He tells us stuff about the world. He tells us stuff about our own hearts. Things are revealed in the text. But oddly enough, one of the reasons that I've heard that sometimes people stop reading the text is they feel like God hasn't delivered to them on a timely enough basis to make stuff happen. The guy that I was talking to after first service said that he had wondered after 20 years of praying for this thing if what was wrong was if he was broken and he needed to be a better person, a better follower of Jesus before God would come through. And he goes, man, that was a lot of pressure on me. Have you considered that maybe what's happening is that God is at work in the silence and all he's looking for you is trust. Can't explain it all. You wouldn't understand it if you could. But in those situations where our hearts break and we wonder, does God care about me? I mean, it's hard. It's hard at Christmas. Everybody walks around talking about joy, peace, love, hope. And if you've been praying to God for something for a while that is a real burden on your heart and it hasn't happened yet, you can begin to feel like you're being left outside of that love, of that joy, that peace, that hope. But that doesn't have to be the story. See, the story that you could end up with is that I just have a different view of silence than, than God does, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust my view. I'm going to adjust my course to line up and say, you know what? If God chooses to be silent with me, there must be a reason, and I'm going to trust him. There's still a place for me to have hope. There's still a place for me to have joy. There's still a place for me to understand that God loves me. 
It doesn't require that I get my answer right now. In fact, it might not ever happen that way. It might be years and years and years from now when you're not expecting it, that God says, now is the time. Because I know what I'm doing. It's perfect in this moment. Our job is to find a way to gather our hearts and present them before God in a way that says, I trust you instead of, I just don't know about you. I don't know if I can believe what you say. I don't know if I can trust what you're doing in my life. Because a barrier gets built. And in our Christmas story, in this great redemptive plan, what God highlights in one of the stories here is that he works even in the silence. And he's doing that in your life too. The question is, will you trust him? Even when it's quiet. Can I pray with you? God, we live in a world that is used to getting answers quickly. If we don't know something, we Google it. If we have a question and we can't find it out, we can call somebody instantly and get it. We, just, we have the ability to get feedback fast. But you're not a part of our culture. You're, you're outside of that, looking in. And God, your, your timing is perfect. Your understanding is perfect. Your wisdom is perfect. And sometimes in our moments of hurt, the best thing that we could have gotten from you was silence, but it's hard for us to see it that way. So I just ask that you would allow us to take this story of Zechariah, who after a season of silence himself realizes that when God speaks, it doesn't matter how long ago it was, it was going to be delivered because when he talks, you can trust him. God, I ask you to open our hearts to the scriptures to see what's true and to know that you can be trusted. You're a faithful God. God, I believe there are people in the season of celebration who've been holding out hope for this thing they've been talking to you about for a long time with their family, with their job, with something going on in their own lives. And your answer very well may have been silence. God, may it grow in our hearts a level of trust, not of anger, not of questioning, but believing the best in you and waiting patiently for a loving God to deliver. God, as we celebrate Christmas, I ask you would bring that to our hearts and minds, that even in the Christmas story, what you promised, people waited for for hundreds of years, but you delivered because that's who you are. God, you're trustworthy. May we find ourselves 
going at your pace, your timeline, with a level of trust in our hearts. We ask for that in Jesus' name.